Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilfo, joined today by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on? Nothing much. You know, the Mariners are unfortunately eliminated now. Penn State's not in a great mm-hmm. place. I, 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 was, I was very interested in what the next words were going to be out of your mouth as you were drawing that parallel between your two sports teams, right? Well, <laughs> two two of your sports teams. Your third sports team uh, is fun bad instead of just regular bad. I, I don't even think the Seahawks yeah. are bad. Like, their, their defense is bad. I mean, it played great this yeah. week, but they're playing the Cardinals, so you're not going to draw too much from that. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Seahawks are fun, so I'll take that. I, I, I can think of an immediate way to upgrade the offense of the Arizona Cardinals, Nick. Can you think of what that is? Mm, adding deandre hopkins mm, well that uh but who's their starting quarterback ah yes there's you know there's never a bad time to you know make the change when you can make the change from kyler murray to trace mcsorley you know you just gotta mm-hmm. do it yes and uh speaking of trace mcsorley that's a good segue into mentioning uh, if you haven't gotten a chance listen to the interview nick did with trace's backup quarterback slash uh Backup quarterback slash rotational wide receiver, tight end, running back, Tommy Stevens, and everything that he did uh, from his time at Penn State. You can go and listen to that uh, wherever you go and get your podcast. I will say that again at the end of the podcast because I always do. But today uh, we're going to be talking about Penn State's upcoming opponent. Uh, the Minnesota Golden Gophers should be an excellent game, whiteout game in Happy Valley. Uh, it's a game that is very interesting and presents – Uh, A very unique challenge to Penn State because I think that we're going to see a team that wants to do what Michigan just did to Penn State. And Nick, before we dive into Minnesota, I just want to take a couple of minutes since we haven't heard from you this week on this, just to get your thoughts on the Michigan game, because it does feel like, you know, you could take the step back and go, all right, yeah, Penn State lost. They're 5-1. and one. They're 2-1 and one in the conference. Uh, most of their games the remainder of the season are at home. They're 16th nationally. You know, it, there's there are plenty of reasons to be very optimistic about how the rest of this season is going to go. But it feels like the way and the manner in which Penn State lost that game, and I find myself in this camp, was just really, really demoralizing. So how are you feeling about things? How did you feel about the Michigan game, and then how are you feeling in the aftermath of the Michigan game? Yeah, I mean, while watching the game, it, honestly, my attention was very divided. That was the same day as the first Mariners playoff game in 21 years. So, you know, I was, you know, from halftime on, I was actually, like, en route to the Mariners ballpark and, you know, watching the end of the game while sitting in my seats. So I wasn't terribly engaged with the game while it was actually going on. Um, but from what I did watch, you know, that was a good thing. <laughs> um, I, I yeah. did go back and, you know, finish watching it later, but, um, you know, I, I, I agree. I agree that I, I don't think this is any, you know, indication that the sky's fall. Like I, you know, Penn state could very easily turn around this week, look great against Minnesota. And then I think you kind of have to at least consider that you know that was a blip um and for me that's kind of like i don't think penn state is as bad as it showed in michigan stadium and i don't think the gap between them and michigan is as big as it appeared to be i think you know through his tenure as penn state's head coach there are just some things about james franklin coach teams that we have seen consistently when it comes to you know just mindset like I don't think that when this team goes into Michigan Stadium 
with the, you know, I, I know they won in 2020, but obviously very different circumstances. I don't feel like they go into that game confident. I, I just don't. Like nothing about the way that they call the game, nothing about, you know, player demeanor, nothing about it says to me that they are expecting to win those games. Like to me, when I see them play at Michigan, I see a team that is backpedaling from the start. And when you, mm. especially when you play a team like Michigan that wants to physically dominate you to win, that's not a good place to be. And, you know, the reason I know that the gap is not this large is because when Michigan then comes to Penn State, it's a totally different game. Like, the the gap between the two teams, I think, is a lot smaller there. And I think overall, Michigan, probably still a better program, better team than Penn State. And, you know, they play at Penn State a lot better than Penn State plays at Michigan. But there's a very clear difference in the just the confidence that the team has. Um and you can even extend it out further than just Michigan, right? Like I think that's Michigan, like going to Michigan is just a thing that they struggle with mentally. Whereas, you know, at home in whiteout games, like they do a really good job of getting pumped for that when they're playing Ohio state, the results don't always go their way, obviously, but whether it's home or away, they are seem to always be in a much better mental state and hmm. just, you know, overall, you know, just more confident state when they're playing the Buckeyes for me it's like that's the that's the main reason for me that's so hard to figure out what to take away from a just truly brutal beatdown like that because part of it is the talent gap right and part of it is the things that franklin said like in the trenches penn state is not as big or as strong as michigan and that's something that's certainly worth discussing why that is the case but i think there's also just this mentality thing and it's it's hard to not put that on Franklin and the coaching staff because it's been that way ever since he got to Penn state. Um, so I, I am hesitant to take away any like sweeping referendums about this team and about the future of this team from that week, you know, until I see the rest of the season play out because it's just a matchup that every year, no matter who is on the team and how good the team is, it's just something that they have not been able to get up for, for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, Michigan is just inherently going to be, you know, styles make fights and the style of fight that Michigan wants to play is one that Penn State is. You know, you look throughout college football, how many teams are able to get the offensive linemen or the defensive linemen that could be super big and super strong and super fast and super agile and all those things. It's Ohio State, it's Alabama, it's Georgia. It's Clemson most years. Michigan's getting better and better at getting that kind of thing. But like Penn State, it just doesn't seem like they are the kind of team that's especially good at getting all those things. Uh, and, you know, there's problems with that. And when you go up against a team like Michigan, you're going to see those sorts of problems. Um I don't I, – I think there is very much something to, you know – this far into the James Franklin era for him to be saying, we need to get this, 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 like it's your program. It's been your program for a decade. And it feels like there are still these like big, deep philosophical questions that just haven't been answered or aren't being answered. And that's really weird and confusing to me, but 
you know, the, and, and this kind of leads into discussing Minnesota and discussing, you know, maybe the rest of the season. Minnesota, Nick, I would argue presents such an interesting challenge because I can't help but think when you look at how Minnesota plays football, they weren't watching, they haven't been watching the tape of this game over the last however many days and thinking anything other than, oh, well, that's basically exactly what we want to try to do. We want to punch Penn State in the mouth. We want to be bigger and stronger than them in the trenches. And, you know, maybe they won't be as explosive as a team like Michigan. They won't be able to make the havoc plays that a team like Michigan makes. But in terms of just being a nasty, physical, rock-solid football team, I, I, I have to think they were watching, as they're watching last week, they saw a lot of things from which they can draw inspiration as they come into a really hostile environment. Yeah, I'm sure they have been. Um, you know, I, I I feel fine, honestly, as a Penn State fan going into this game. A lot of, uh, mostly because I I think that you know, to the opposite of the point I was just making, I think James Franklin does a really good job of getting his team amped up for the whiteout game and for that big home game of the year. Um, and yes, I obvi- obviously I would assume that Minnesota is going to emulate exactly what Michigan did because, like you said, they're you know, they're just a leveled down version of Michigan. Like they want to play the same way, but I think they are a leveled more of a leveled down version of Michigan than maybe a lot of people are giving them credit for. Like, Mm. I think that is a significantly worse football team than Michigan. Um, not to say that Minnesota is a bad team by any, by any means, but I just I don't think that that this team is nearly as scary as maybe they looked after their what first four games of the season when they rolled through New Mexico State, Western Illinois, Colorado, and Michigan State. Um, like these last two weeks against Purdue and Illinois, like the Purdue game was you know close, like statistically, but they lost by ten. They got absolutely manhandled by Illinois. And that's not to say Illinois isn't a good football team. Illinois looks like a damn good football team. But I I again, I I think it's admirable and the um the ideal plan for Minnesota to try to emulate what Michigan did. I don't think they can do it personally. Mm. Well, uh yeah, we'll 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 do this now. Why why don't you think they can do that? Because when I look at Minnesota, I look at yes, it's not a perfect football team, but on offense, and, and this is in part due to the fact that it doesn't seem like Tanner Morgan's going to be out there. I think they're going to try to win in the trenches, run the ball with Mohammed Ibrahim over and over and over again against a Penn State front that didn't just get manhandled but has led to the coach saying we need to do things in a different way. Like the fact, you know, I think you and I disagree on this. The fact that the words we need to recruit better left James Franklin's mouth after the Michigan game, like that's not a chill down my spine, man. Like I don't like, I really do not like going out and saying that sort of thing after losing a football game. But I think you're going to see a Minnesota, you're going to see Minnesota want to do that without as much of the threat of, the, of a pass, which perhaps that's it. And then the other side of the football, you look at what Minnesota has been able to do this year and how 
They're spect- They're not going to be the kind of team that gets into the backfield and disrupts plays, but they're not going to let you run the football. They're not going to let you throw. They've been very good against teams trying to run and throw the football. And on third downs, this is the best defense in the country. So I want to present all that stuff and then say to you, what is it that has you going? Yeah, I, I, I have some reservations about their ability to kind of replicate that Michigan game plan. Um, I think real quick, just to your to the point you made before about the the recruiting comment. Um, yeah. No, I, I I I didn't like it. Um, okay. After this game, I, I I think when you take the full context of the quote, it's a little better, just because he basically named everything. Um, but no, I I did not think that was the right time to make that comment personally. Like I I think that more than anything, that was a time where he and his coaching staff needed to be the ones falling on the sword there because I think more than, sorry, my light just started flickering. Um, I think more than anything, they, the coaches were the ones that got beat against Michigan. Like they got out schemed by the dudes mm. on the other side of the field from the first snap. Um, obviously, you know, coach, you can only call, you can only call what your players can execute and you can only hope that they execute what you call. But I, I did not think that the coaching staff was well prepared for that Michigan game. And I, yeah, I did not think that was the right time to comment on recruiting and all that stuff because it, I don't think that was the big issue on Saturday. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you look at like the good to great to just this one interjection before you go, the good to great to elite thing is like against Ohio state and you're building with 10 million recruits in right. attendance so like you can make eye contact with someone but otherwise yeah this just it felt very weird to me but yeah i i apologize please continue and and, and at that point like it was it rang much more true because what was yeah that? three four years ago was 2018 it yeah you're, it felt like they were a half step away from being there and this team currently feels like they are two or three steps away yeah but like if you look at the start i I pulled up the numbers. I forgot exactly what it was now. But if you look at the starting offense that Penn State ran out against Michigan on Saturday, I believe every single player that was a starter was a blue chip recruit with the exceptions of Mitchell Tinsley. I assume he wasn't a blue chip recruit yeah. um, uh, with the exceptions of him, Olu Fashanu, who has become a you know potential NFL early draft pick. So I, I don't care that he was three stars at that point. Um, and then... Brenton Strange, I think and was. Hunter oh, and Hunter Norzad. Yeah, I forgot Norzad playing. Yeah, Hunter Norzad, and then Brenton Strange, who even he was like right on the precipice of four stars. And again, he's an, he's a future NFL dude. So, like, talent was not the issue in that game. Like, in sure. my opinion. Um, but to your question about Minnesota, I think it is worth noting that you know as much as minnesota is watching as is watching and getting the opportunity to watch the tape from that michigan game and say okay how can we do this i think it's also fair to remember that on the other side penn state has the same tape that they can look at and be like okay how do we keep this from happening again against a team that is going to execute it at a lesser level than michigan did um Mm. i like i expect to see penn state basically let all their corners go single coverage man-to-man all game I, you know, for one reason, because I think that they got shown last week, they need more, more resources for, to stop the run. Um, but also, you know, Minnesota's pass catchers aren't as good as the ones that Michigan has. Um, but you know, it's for me, it's 
again, I could just because for the main reason I feel confident that they'll be able to keep Minnesota from doing not they're not going to totally shut them down, but I think they will keep from happening what happened this past week. Um, because again, I don't think the gap between Penn State and Michigan is as big as it appeared to be. So when you add in the home game, when you add in the whiteout, when you add in a you know hopefully a better mentality. Um, because this is actually going to be a, real, a really interesting experiment because the two things that we know about James Franklin teams, one, they always get up for the whiteout. Two, they have a really bad habit of stacking losses. So something's got to give this week. So that's going to be pretty interesting to see how it unfolds. But um, that's just what it boils down, for, down to for me. I just don't think the gap last week was as big as it seemed to be. And I think Minnesota is going to do what Michigan did, but at a much lower level. Interesting because I like I can see a scenario where Minnesota basically goes out there and says we are happy with four yards a pop, five yards a pop. We trust Mohamed Ibrahim to be able to get that for us and our him and our offensive line, both of which are very good, to get that time and time and time again. And then on the other side of the football. You know, I, I I think that they are just going to trust their fundamentals and trust the fact that they, again, Minnesota has not been the kind of defense that is going to go out there and create havoc play after havoc play after havoc play. You look, they are tied for 70th nationally in takeaways. They are 127th in tackles for loss. They are... Uh, 113th in sacks. But having said that, you look at where they are in yards per carry. They're a middle, they're middle of the road. They're uh, about 3.71 yards per carry, which is 47th nationally. They are sixth nationally in passing yards allowed per attempt, and then first nationally in third down percentage. I think this is going to be a game where Minnesota is going to come out, Nick, and basically say. We trust the stuff that we are capable of doing is a very good matchup against a Penn State team that, on one hand, it has a big talent advantage, but on the other hand, they have they've kept Sean Clifford upright pretty well this entire season. Mm-hmm. And despite that, they've had some troubles running the ball, especially the last couple of weeks. They've had some troubles throwing the ball for large, large stretches this season. And there doesn't seem to be an offense in college football that seems to enjoy being in third and eights more than the Penn State Nittany Lions. So I generally agree with you. I think that, like you said, the fact that Penn State stacks losses, and like, let's face it, in all likelihood, Penn State is losing next week. In all likelihood, Penn State is losing a big noon kick against Ohio State. Mm -hmm. So if they lose this game, you could just write in pen that they're losing next week, I could argue. Going up against the fact that when Penn State plays in a whiteout setting, it tends to find that extra gear that feels like it is missing so frequently. It's a really interesting thing, a couple of things to go head to head. And we're going to talk about all of that in a second. But first, Nick, uh, we have some bills that need to be paid. And the best way to do that is by reading the ad for our sponsor, 
home field apparel. If you have uh, been listening to the pod throughout the season, you know that our podcast is sponsored by home field apparel, a group of Indiana fans based out of Indianapolis that create premium collegiate apparel. Uh, they're very fun to follow on social media. So make sure you are doing that. And then of course, make sure you're purchasing their shirts, which are comfortable. They're unique. They have really cool and interesting designs that make you feel a little bit closer to your school. I mean, Nick, I, I, ever since they released their Penn State line, uh, it has been a little bit concerning how frequently I have gone out to purchase home field apparel gear. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I haven't gone back to make a second purchase yet, but I do. So whenever I buy like a new shirt that I really, really like, um, when I put it in the water, I never let it touch the dryer because I'm terrified of it shrinking. So mm. pretty much every week in my house, they're is at least one home field shirt sitting on the drying rack because I'm terrified of it shrinking because I love it so much. It's an awesome, they're all awesome shirts. I have Penn state stuff and Wazoo stuff. I love it all. Yes. Uh, I recently purchased uh, one of their crew necks. Do you have any, any of those? I don't, but my wife does and she loves Brother. it. She thought she mm -hmm. lost it after wearing it once to which I was horrified at. And then she found it in her car. Just like I said, she probably would. So, you know, hey, big win, big win for we me. We, we, we love when a husband and a wife have a minor tiff. Uh, so if, as you notice from there, they do have pens, a Penn State line of gear. There are 15 pieces of apparel in all. And if you are a new customer, please use the Rome promo code ROAR, Lions ROAR, one word, all uppercase to get 15% off of your first order at Home Field Apparel. Again, promo code ROAR, Lions ROAR for 15% off of your first order if you are a new customer. Thank you very much to Home Field Apparel for sponsoring this podcast. And now, Nick... Let's get into this by just talking about the big thing that you are keeping an eye on on both sides of the football. And we'll start – well, we'll start with giving a little bit of context uh, to Minnesota. The Gophers this year, 4-2 and two on the season, started the year uh, like a bat out of hell, like you mentioned, winning their first four games and looking quite good doing it. They became uh, kind of a sexy uh, sleeper team to talk about in the college football playoff uh, picture. But then some injuries started to pile up. Their standout wide receiver, Chris Altman-Bell, suffered an injury that will keep him out for the season. Last week against Illinois, starting quarterback Tanner Morgan suffered an injury that appears is going to keep him out uh, of this week's game. And despite that, the Gophers – uh, they are the best two-loss team in the country by SP+. They are 10th nationally, 45th on offense, 3rd on defense, 66th in special teams. Uh, they're, they're just a really good, really solid football team. And Nick, as we're talking about the big thing that you're keeping an eye on on both sides of the football, when we start with Penn State's offense against Minnesota's defense, the Nittany Lions – it hasn't been pretty for them on offense, 43rd in offensive SP plus going up against a really solid defense. What is the big thing that you're going to be keeping your eye on when that matchup is playing out? I think how one, how committed they are to the run game and two, how they deploy it. Um, mm. You know, we saw Penn state put up some, some crooked numbers offensively through the first uh, three weeks of the season. And if you, you know, at the time it felt a lot like, you know, wow, this offense is finally, especially the Auburn game, you know, it feels like this offense is finally turning a corner. It seems like they're finally figuring out how to run block. I think we probably put, not probably, we did put too much stock into probably the rushing numbers based on the um, inflated 
state that they got to be thanks to some really long Nicholas Singleton runs. And those plays have not been there the last few weeks. And I don't, I don't think it's a, you know, I think Nick, I think Nicholas Singleton is a really good running back and I think he has a really bright future. I just don't know. I don't know how helpful he is to the Penn state offense right now. If he's not Mm. able to break free and get loose because I think, you know, between he and Katron Allen, Katron Allen is clearly the better runner in, you know, more congested space um, and in just tighter, tighter boxes. That's not to say Singleton can't do it. I thought we saw nickel. I thought Singleton did some really good things in that regard against Northwestern um, before, you know, fumble Palooza started up over there. He, 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 he has an extra gear that Allen just doesn't have right. Right. Yeah. And he hasn't, he just hasn't quite figured out, I think, how to use it if he's not in the open field, right? Like there are ways that you can use your speed to your advantage still within a more congested environment defensively. But um, I, I think he's just still figuring it out a bit. And I'm just curious to see, you know, if he is not able to break anything, which I assume he probably won't be able to. Minnesota is a good run defense. So I'm curious to see what, you know, the, what the snap counts look like between those two, because I think, again, as I've said multiple times, I think leaning on Katron Allen is the correct thing to do here. I, his, he has the vision and the patience to be able to work through tougher defenses. And I think he's just more advanced in that regard than Singleton is right now. Um, but I'm curious to see, you know, if, if the run game struggles to get on track, because, like you said, Penn State has a really nasty habit of continually getting in third and sevens, third and eights, third and nines. And that's typically because on first or second down, they ran a run play that went for one yard or no yards. Like I, right now, the, every time Penn State gets the ball offensively, what I'm expecting is a first down run for a maximum of three yards, an incomplete pass on second down, and an incomplete pass on third down. Like that has been their script basically for the last three games, honestly. Um, so I'm curious to see if it gets to a point where they are just continually running into a brick wall, will we see them, you know, maybe not ditch the run game altogether. I don't think that's a feasible strategy, but will we see them lean more pass happy um, earlier than we've seen them do so far this year? So when I look at this Minnesota defense, I look at a group that has seven starters that are either redshirt seniors or seniors. It's a bunch of guys who've played a lot of football. They're linebackers, Mariano, Sori, Marin, and Braylon Oliver are very, very good football players. And I think that's reflected in the fact that when Minnesota is going out there, you know, I just read off the numbers about sacks, tackles for loss, and turnovers they're not a group that's going to go out and try and force you to make mistakes and put you in situations where you can make mistakes and for me that so often like that's just something that always concerns me with this Penn State team because even though they are pretty risk averse, when you speed up Penn State's offense, when you speed up Sean Clifford or one of these young running backs or the offensive line, 
that's where I think they tend to run into trouble. And that's where Clifford, you know, he's better at just burning it instead of taking a sack or trying to extend a play or throwing an interception. But that's where those situations tend to present themselves. Uh, the third down thing is the biggest one of the, like that is this football game, Penn state 105th nationally on third down completing, uh, converting 33.8% of their attempts and Minnesota, as I mentioned, first nationally in opposing third down conversion percentage, 21.9%. Uh, the team that's after that comes after uh, after them is Alabama at 25.2%. The gap between Minnesota and Alabama, a uh, little more than three percentage points, is about the same as the gap between Alabama and the team that's in 12. So something Mike Yurcich said while meeting with the media today, uh, he was asked about staying on the field longer, extending drives, that sort of thing, which Penn State sucked at last week. Penn State was terrible at staying on the field against Michigan's defense. And he said uh, it's very important. They're a very good third down defense. So third down has been a big stress point, obviously, for us this week. We have to improve in that area, especially going against such a tough defense in that particular situation. So that's big. But what helps you on third downs is being efficient on first and second down. So it all correlates. And Nick, when I hear that, it's weird because to me, that is something we have heard out of James Franklin, Mike Yurcich. We heard it out of Kirk Shiraka when he was Penn State's offensive coordinator, out of Ricky Ronnie, out of Joe Moorhead. Like it, that has just seemed to be a constant for Penn State. So let's take a quick chance to dive into that. I, mean, I don't want to talk about why Penn State has these third down issues because I think that kind of, you know, Yurcich basically explain them by saying you suck on first and second down. Of course, you're going to have a hard time on third down. How do you expect Penn state to go out there this week against a good Minnesota defense and try to stay on schedule and avoid being in situations where they're in these third and extra longs, or do you think they're kind of, for lack of a better word, going to throw their hands in the air and say, listen, this is just an environment that we're going to find ourselves in. Sometimes we have to trust ourselves to make a play. It's an interesting question because I, I don't really think there's like, I, every football team since the beginning of time has worked to, unless you're playing at the CFL, well, there's only three downs, um, has worked to avoid third and longs. And to Mike Yurcich's point, you know, it's, it's not, it's not about, executing on third down it's about executing on first and second down i don't know like there is no offense that is not trying to execute on first and second like i don't know what you are i don't know what to expect them to do differently like they are they are trying to avoid third downs they always every football team is always trying to avoid third down like for as far as like a tangible difference in what Penn state does, I don't even know what that would look like. Like, yeah. Is it a greater emphasis on like, is it the return of the bubble screen all of a sudden where, you know, you can get three or four easy yards most likely like maybe, but, um, you know, and, and something I, something I was wondering while you were talking, I said, I wonder, you know, I wonder if there's any sort of correlation between, teams that are more explosive or teams that are trying to be more explosive like Penn state and third downs, because you know, the more shots you take, the more shots you're going to miss and the more you know, like negative plays you're going to create most likely. So I wonder if there's some sort of correlation there, but 
I, I honestly, I like, I don't know what I would even point to, to say Penn state needs to do this thing better aside from like block better or get open yeah. better. Like, I, I don't know what it would be. It, it, it makes the entire conversation about like, we need to be better at this all the more interesting, right? Because it seems to our, uh, untrained eyes like the solution to all of this has always just been be able to block a little bit better yeah <laughs> and for whatever reason uh that's like you, you know i i haven't read uh anything in james franklin's contract but my guess is that there's something in there that uh says james franklin isn't allowed to have a good offensive line uh <laughs> but i when i think about all this stuff the thing that just seems to make the most sense to me is to just get, you know, find ways to scheme Parker Washington open, find ways to scheme uh, Mitchell Tinsley and the tight ends open and put your guys in position. It, it has, we know something about James Franklin and that is after the Wisconsin game uh, last year, he said that, and I'm trying to find the quote. I can't find where it is, but Franklin had that quote, which was something to the extent of when we win the big play battle and we win the turnover battle, we win games 97% of the time. I'm paraphrasing. I might not have the numbers right, but he's made clear. Those are the two metrics that he tries that they try to track. And at a certain point, and I understand the importance of big plays in a football game, I just wonder if they say we're not going to be hunting for bit, especially because I just don't know if this passing offense in particular is really designed to go out and get big plays, Nick. Mm -hmm. It just feels to me like Penn State's offense needs to be a little bit more eager and accepting of the fact that sometimes the best thing that you can do is get four or five yards on a play. And if you do that to bring it back to this game, if you are able to put together your offense in such a way that you're only getting four or five yards of play. That's great against a Minnesota defense that, as you mentioned, is allowing uh, 5.6 yards per pass and 3.7 yards per rush. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good wondering, I think about, you know, are their priorities in the right place? Um, because, you know, they harp on it so much. They harp on the explosiveness so much. Like, we know, we're not in the room, but we know that that's what they're trying to do because they talk about it openly and publicly so often. And you're right. Like, they don't have, they don't have Jahan Dotson. They don't have Saquon Barkley. They don't have Chris Godwin or Allen Robinson. They don't have that guy that is a threat. I mean, Singleton will, will be there and is almost there now, but they don't have that guy that is a threat to go 65 yards 75 yards every single time the ball is in their hands they just don't like that's not who parker washington is that's not who mitchell tinsley is that's not who katron allen or brendan strange are although i guess brendan strange did do it um it's a really Boy, good re remember when uh remember when brendan strange played for penn state because it seems like in recent weeks they've <laughs> forgotten that he is on the football team yeah and honestly you know i for me i think he made <laughs> as if you want to pick out a play of the game, I think he made the play of the game for Penn state against Michigan because on second and I, th I think it was a second and 10 they threw, he caught the pass um, 
I don't know, probably only like three or four yards past the line of scrimmage and just carried dudes like all the way down mm-hmm. to a third and one. And that's what directly preceded the Sean Clifford near touchdown run. And that play is not possible if Brenton Strange doesn't get him that close to the sticks. So and, and in that moment, I was like, why are they not like in past years? I was like, please stop throwing to Brenton Strange because he's not catching the ball and he's not doing anything. And this year I'm finding myself saying, please, God, throw to him more. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really interesting point you brought up, because if they wanted to be just an offense built on efficiency, they have really good pieces to do that. Number one being Parker Washington, like he could be the best security blanket in college football if you mm-hmm. called his routes and called the game that way. Like his hands are so good. He's so reliable. Um, so it's an interest. It's an interesting question. Yeah. And, and, you know, and they have the defense to punish teams for needing to catch up like, like trying to make up for the efficiency and trying to get off, trying to get, you know, points on the board because they know they're not going to hold the ball long. Like they have a great secondary to take advantage of that if that was their style, but it's not. Yeah. And we'll uh, get back to the tight end, you know, a little, we'll foreshadow and we'll get to the tight ends in a bit. Uh, let's move to the other side of the football. Penn State's defense, uh, a defense that is reeling, a defense that, uh, coming off of a really tough week, uh, still ranked, a, I fell a bit 11th in defensive SP plus, but going up against an offense that is 45th in uh, offensive SP plus. And of course, the big thing going into this game is it sounds like uh, Tanner Morgan is not going to be able to play due to a concussion. You know, all the best to him. That was a really ugly play that he got knocked out of. Uh, the backup seems like it is going to be one of two guys. There is junior quarterback Cole Kramer, and there is uh, former four-star freshman quarterback Ethan Kaliakamanis, uh, who came in against Illinois, really, really struggled. Uh, Kaliakamanis against the Illini. Uh, let me pull his numbers up here. Two for six, 17 yards, two interceptions. So, Nick, I think when you look at this, and you look at what went so wrong for Penn State last week, and you look at where Minnesota's strength is. Uh, you know, I'm not even going to read off their passing stats because you know they're kind of a moot point without uh, without yeah. Morgan in there. Uh, you know, other than the fact that they've allowed six sacks on the entire season of good offensive line, but. Minnesota so far this season, 20th nationally, 5.2 uh, yards per carry. They're 20 rushing touchdowns tied for fifth uh, behind only Mississippi, Michigan, Georgia, and a service academy. So I think this all paints a very obvious picture for how this football game is going to go and what Penn State needs to try and do to get Manny Diaz's defense back on track. And to me, that is you are selling out against the run almost entirely and telling this guy who has struggled to throw the football, assuming it is him. Uh, Callie Kamanis is at 45.5% of the season. Kramer is at 62.5% of the season, but hasn't thrown a pass uh, since throwing one against Colorado. You're going to have to be the guy, you and a, a pass catching core that isn't quite as good without Altman Bell, who has to beat us this year, this week. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, heading into the season, the biggest question mark I had about this defense was middle linebacker. And we saw Tyler Elsden get exposed and Kobe King get exposed against Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't I don't think either one is a bad player. But I mean, for Kobe King, I think it's just the game's moving too fast for him right now. He's still learning. I mean, he's a he's a redshirt freshman, so it's very understandable. Um, and for Tyler Elsden, like I I think he gets it. I think he knows where he's supposed to be. He's just not quite fast enough to get there and make the play. Um, but it was it was a really reminiscent defensive performance of the one back in 2016. Like linebackers just not being in the holes they were supposed to be in safeties not being able to make the plays on the back end like it looked really similar to that game um poor poor cam brown in that forever immortalized one clip in that 2016 game um, <sighs> hey he's he's a captain on the giants now good for him I, listen i get it <laughs> I, it's just thinking thinking about that 2016 game sucks always oh yeah totally totally i mean just think about the rest of the season you'll feel a lot better yeah, like the loss to Pitt. <laughs> you set me up for that. Come on. The rest of the season after yeah. that Michigan game. There yeah, you go. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. <clears throat> um, I, like, like, going into this week, I know for me, I I am very grateful for all of the wonderful contributions he has made as a student athlete. He's done great things on special teams. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was wondering where you were taking this for a second. And then I, cause you were like, you were giving this a very like talk. Nick talks about Koa farmer feel. And I was like, the hell could I? And I, okay, go ahead. I mean, I, am I not talking about Koa farmer? Essentially? I don't want to see Jonathan Sutherland playing anywhere close to as much as he played last week. I would much, much, much rather have them play an extra safety, which I, mean, I guess playing Sutherland essentially is that, but, play an extra safety in the form of Jalen Reed or I mean, Keaton Ellis, I thought looked bad last week too, but I I'd even rather have him probably. Um, I just, yeah, I agree, totally agree with your point. Like I would put every single corner on an Island against every yeah. single pass catcher and just devote everything you have to stopping the run. Because if, if they, if they can, if their receivers can beat Joey Porter jr. And Kalen King and Johnny Dixon, with a backup quarterback, good on him. I'm more than willing to make that trade. I just you cannot let Minnesota do what Michigan did to you. I'm inclined to agree. And here's uh, here's another thing that I will I will say about Minnesota's offense. We mentioned that Altman Bell is out last week against Illinois. Their top pass catcher uh, was their tight end, who is a very good player. Uh, guy in the name of Brevin Spanford. He caught four balls for 32 yards. He is a good football player. He is the guy. He is the skill position guy other than Mohamed Ibrahim. I think Penn State needs to key on the most. Mm-hmm. Their top three receivers on the year after that, Michael Brown Stevens, Daniel Jackson, Dylan Wright. I'll even throw in Clay Geary uh, and Lameek Brockington. You want to guess how many catches that group of guys had? against Illinois last week? Two. One. It was by Daniel Jackson. It was one catch for four yards. Hmm. I understand that selling out against the run means you are, you know, one cornerback shoelace being a little bit too long and they trip themselves up away from the kind of game-changing big play that – that change it like in a game like this, getting one free 
easy, um, whatever you want to say, touchdown is of the utmost importance. But having said that, if you are going to be throwing a freshman quarterback into his first ever start, a freshman quarterback who is five for 11 with no touchdowns and two interceptions into Penn state at night in a whiteout. And you aren't daring the other team to throw the football. That is a huge mistake to me, especially considering Mohamed Ibrahim might be the best running back in the Big Ten. He's at uh, 6.7 yards per carry, 104 carries, 694 yards, nine touchdowns on the season. His backups, Trey Potts, 4.9 yards per carry, three touchdowns. Bryce Williams, 5.9 yards per carry, two touchdowns. Their best player up front is their center, John Michael Schmitz, who's an ESPN and CBS Sports first team All-American. They have good uh, offensive line play. I think you need to put as much as humanly possible on this quarterback and make it so, you know, there was a, there was a piece written this week in the Minneapolis star tribune in which his high school coach said that this guy has that gunslinger mentality. If you are not trying to use that against him and you are not trying to put Minnesota in situations, Nick, where they could take advantage of the fact that, you know, we talked about Penn state struggles, On third down, Minnesota, number one team in college football in third down conversions at 66.2%. The team that is in second is Ohio State at about 58%. The gap between Penn State and Minnesota is about the same as – or Minnesota and Ohio State is about the same as the gap between Ohio State and WVU, the team that is in 15th. So I know they want to have – you know, they don't want to sell out too hard against this or too hard against that, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I think Schmitz is going to go out there and give uh, their quarterback as much help as he possibly can with pre-snap stuff. I almost don't care, man. I think Penn State's singular goal in this game is to make Minnesota throw the football as much as they possibly can. Yeah. Um, we've talked about this a lot before. There is nobody more aware of a narrative than James Franklin. Even he knows, like, you cannot allow, you cannot lose to Minnesota at home in a night game and the whiteout by getting run over. Like, you cannot allow that to happen. That is a death sentence for yes. James Franklin. Like, you cannot allow that to happen. You can't You um, can't let them take the crowd out of it because if yeah. they're going for six yards per pop, and, and that's kind of the other thing here. We are coming off of a football game. I apologize for interrupting you, but we are coming off of a football game where the opposing team gains 7.6 yards per carry. If Minnesota goes out there and scores a touchdown on the first drive with a backup quarterback because they just mowed through Penn State's defense with Mohamed Ibrahim, the anxiety, like I'm several hundred miles away, you are several thousand miles away from state college, we're going to be able to feel the anxiety in that stadium from the couches upon which we're sitting. Yep. Yeah. It, it would, it would be a nightmare scenario for sure. Mm -hmm. Like if they break off a big run, like a 50 yard touch and run fine. Like you can't do anything about that. But if you're letting them Mm -hmm. walk down the field with that six, seven yards a pop, yikes. Yeah. That'd be tough. Yeah, and I like I I think there's going to be, 
you know, a lot of like, uh, oh, Kirk Shiraka returning. They're going to want to do it for him, blah, blah. Like, I, I think that's probably a bit overblown. Unless Kirk Shiraka is going in there and se- telling uh, telling the troops, hey, guess what? We're going to, uh, listen, I need you to go out there and do this for me. Forget about you guys. Think about what I want. Like, I think that's a bit, uh, I think that's a bit overblown. I think it's a bit overrated. I, hope- I mean, he was in state college for what, like eight months, if yeah. even like, and and uh, they they did him a little bit dirty. Neither here nor there. They did. I, they I, did. I think I think we can all, even if you know, we don't agree with you know some of the stuff he wanted to do offensively with turning them into RPO emergency. I, I do think he got done a little bit dirty. Uh, but I don't think there's going to be some like added motivation to like put on a show for coach or anything. No, like that. Like that. Like I think I think so many of like the things that fans think matter don't actually matter all that much. Like there's like that. You know, uh, making Minnesota think Drew Aller is going to be playing quarterback because Sean Clifford, whatever, like all that stuff doesn't really matter. But I think there is, you know, knock. I'm not going to knock on wood because I have a dog, and Nick, you know as well as I do what happens when you knock on wood with the dog. I think. I mean, my dog wouldn't do anything. My dog is fast asleep. But oh no, my I no Australian shepherds are wired differently, brother. But I think that there is going to be some level of familiarity with how Kirk Shiraka wants to run this offense, how they're going to block, how they're going to do this and this and this and this, maybe at a level that you don't get from watching film. And hopefully, hopefully Penn State's able to respond with that. But Nick, I think it's a good time to start to go into talking about players that we're going to keep an eye on. And I want to start on Penn State's defense because I think Penn State's defense has to have a big bounce back. It's weird because like, for how bad Penn State's offense was last week, I don't think that was necessarily a surprise to anyone. I think we all kind of go, yeah, you know, Penn State's offense lays it, lays it in Michigan, whatever. I think Penn State's defense being as bad as it was last week probably was a bit of a surprise and a bit of a wake-up call for a lot of people because we went into this game thinking Penn State's defense was very, very, very good. So who are the players on the defensive side of the football you are going to be keeping the closest eye on uh, as this game plays out and you know are the ones who can maybe swing this in one direction or another yeah i've i've got one at each level um okay defensive line i think it's akeem beeman um, has to be one curious to see how much he plays honestly um because i think last week he, it showed you know we we knew beeman was undersized but it was expected that he would be more of like that that anthony zettle role like being able to use the fact that he's a little bit smaller and Zettel, obviously Zettel was bigger. I believe he was bigger. Um, but like Beeman just hasn't been able, and again, Beeman's still really young, right? So like it, it could totally still happen for him, but he hasn't been able to take advantage of his athleticism to beat bigger, slower offensive interior players the way that, you know, I think fans and the coaching staff was hoping for. Um, so Really with him, I'm just curious to see how much he plays. Like, does Devon yeah. Ellis spell him for most of the game? Like, do we see um do we see anybody else in that role instead? So curious to see what happens there. I think at the let line me, back- let me let me let me just yeah, yeah. interrupt for a second. Uh Beeman two sixty four, Zettel was two eighty four, Penn State's yeah. defensive line. This is something I uh, looked up earlier today. Beeman, Beeman's St- taller though, right? Uh Beeman is uh what the hell, where'd it go? Uh nope, Beeman is an inch shorter. 
Interesting. Uh, but yeah, I was looking at it today and Penn State's defensive line, a uh, defensive tackle group has one dude who is both a both lighter than 290 pounds and not a true freshman. And it is Hakeem Beeman, who is a 264. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'll, he's, he's my answer too. I, I don't think it's necessarily like, you know, you put two and two together. James Franklin called him out after after the mission game. You didn't explicitly say his name, but you look at that and there's one guy on this defensive line, you know, unless he is really disappointed with Zane Durant, which I think would be a little unfair, who he could have been talking about here. And he's going up against a a spectacular center in John Michael Schmitz, a guy uh, who it comes into this game at 6'4 and 320 pounds. They're going to have their eye on him. They're going to try and steamroll Hakeem Beeman if he is in this football game. And like you mentioned, Nick, he he has to deliver. He has to deliver or else, you know, Penn State's going to be in a position where it's, all right, uh, Devon Ellis, Keziah Izzard, uh, Fatorma Mulba, Jordan Vandenberg, whomever. We need you because the guy that we thought was going to be able to get the job done, just, you know, he can't hold up here. Yeah. Really quick before we move on, just really briefly, I want to touch on that quote from Franklin. He said, I hated that. I really, really hated that. That's fair. Um, because, you know, and again, we still don't know why Beeman was out all of last year. Like, we don't know if it was, you know, academic or something off the field or injury. I imagine we, by now, we would have found out it was injury. But, you know, there could have been a reason, but we, like he was on the scout team the whole time. But what I, more what I mean is like, was there a reason maybe that he wasn't as involved in strength and conditioning as he could could have been? Like, was there an injury keeping him from doing that and getting bigger? Um, but ultimately, like, you're the head coach. You are the one ultimately in charge of everything. And that includes strength and conditioning. If you don't want to play Hakeem Beeman because he's too small, don't play Hakeem Beeman. And if you want him to get bigger, get him on a plan that's going to get him to be bigger. Like, I I really disliked that, that fair. quote. Like, it's, this is not, this isn't professional. Like, if it was a quote from like an NFL head coach talking, then I, that's fine. Like, cause at that point those dudes are so independent. Like it's, it's really is a lot more on them, but mm-hmm. this is a college kid and what he does as far as, you know, workout routines and how you use him is ultimately up to you. And like, you have way more control here. And I, I, I just didn't like, I didn't like that's calling fair. him out for being small because you can change that. Yeah. Well, like he, that. Uh, of course, it's worth mentioning he didn't specifically call him out for being small, but right. you look through everything and it's like, well, who the hell else could he be taught? You know, maybe, you know, maybe he has some really strong thoughts on Adisa Isaac being 243 pounds, <laughs> but seeing as how he specifically mentioned Aaron Donald, yeah. that does seem like a bit of a giveaway. But yes, yeah, so yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk linebackers. Who you got? Yeah, linebacker. I mean, the obvious answer is whoever's playing Mike, I think, between Elsden and King. But for me, more, it's Curtis Jacobs because. To mm-hmm. me, he's been uh, a jag this year. He's been just a guy as far like I know he had the interception last week. We have not seen him flash. Like we saw him flash more last year as the Sam linebacker than we've seen him this year as the Will linebacker. Like they need more from him. If you look back at previous, you know, standout um weak side linebackers for Penn State, they have all been forces in the run game. Like Brandon Smith, for all his faults, did a pretty good job of cleaning things up in the run game. His deficiencies were more in coverage and when the ball was in the air. Um, Micah Parsons, obviously, I don't want to compare anyone to Micah Parsons, but obviously Micah Parsons was an animal against the run. Um, but you go back for it, like Brandon Bell really made his money against the run. Like 
we haven't seen Jacob. And again, again, to continue to qualify this still a young player still can grow, but he has been ordinary. I think in that new role rather than the standout that they need him to be because that linebacker group is the weakest group on the defense and they really needed and need him to be more than he has been so far. That's fair. And like for me, the only guy I was going to mention here was Beeman. So who, uh, who do you have in the secondary? Yeah. The last one for me is um, uh, it's not any, anyone specifically. I'll just say the safety group because you know, for the deficiencies of the linebackers, we know that there are going to be running backs to get through the second level. And you, we just need to be able to count on the safeties to be able to clean things up and not allow, you know, seven to 10 yard runs become 20 to 25 yard runs. And I don't think they were very good at that last week. I and Blake Corm's a monster. I get it, but I, I need to see more from that group in terms of just capping big plays. Okay. Interesting. I, 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 I think that's all fair. I mean, the, my, my answer is Beeman and then, you know, just everyone please for the love of God tackle better, but uh, neither here nor there. Let's move on to the other side of the football and I'll, I'll start here. And for me that it's Penn state's tight ends room and maybe not so much Penn state's tight ends room and the guys themselves, but Mike Yurcich and how he uses this tight end room. I mean, we remember during the, uh, during the Purdue game, Joel Klatt basically said something to the extent of Mike yours has told me this is, or James Franklin told whoever it was told me this is Penn state's most talented tight end room. And Klatt said, yeah, well, you could say that, but like, we have to see it. We just haven't seen you use it. And I'm going to just read this quote that Mike Yersich said today, uh, where he was asked about using the tight ends a bit more. He said, yeah, we can get to them a little bit more. I think for sure, depending on who you're playing from week to week and how they match up. But yeah, we have a plan every week to get our tight ends touches and need to continue to build on that and make them a big part of this offense. They're a very talented group. The thing about tight end touches and some of the things that are challenging just to me to be an open book is sometimes you'd like to chip tight ends, especially in a drop back passing games, so you can help a tackle out. Well, anytime you're chipping a tight end, it's hard for them to be primary receivers. So they're typically a check down in that situation. And then furthermore, if you're running play action pass, a lot of the times they're involved in the run action as well. So to get, so to be able to get the tight ends, a lot of the times you have to drop back pass. We're running into an area where play action pass is really important for us selling the run. And so therefore you're a little conflicted. However, to your point, it is very important to get them the ball, but those are things that maybe the layperson doesn't really fully understand that an offensive coordinator does. Yeah. We want to throw it. We also want to help out our offensive line. And yes, we also want to play action pass and then to have to find creative ways in order to get those tight ends freed up and make them primary receivers without risking the loss of yardage that happens on a typical drop back pass. And then he made some joke about losing his hair. I see that quote and I look at what this I look at what this Minnesota defense does and how it is not one for to do sacks, to do tackles for loss, those sorts of things. And I think, you know, this is the exact week where, yeah, they're going to be doing a ton of rushing four or whatever, and you got to get your tight ends out there. I look at that one quote, uh, one part of the quote. Anytime you're chipping a tight end, it's hard for them to be primary receivers, so they're typically a check down in the situation. Take the goddamn check down, you know? Like, with how Sean Clifford completed 3% of his passes last week, I'm happy for them to just feed Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren and be willing to pick up five or six yards in the passing game. So, I when mean, that, I comes, look- that comes back down to blocking, right? Yeah, like, that's fair. You don't, have time, you don't have time to find your tight end as the check down if the blocking's not going to hold up long enough for you to find it. Like. 
it all it all just comes back to the same place. Yes. So what I would say is I think there needs to be more of a way for Penn State to get these guys the football, even if it is not in the big play vertical passing offense thing that I think probably endears itself to Mike Yurcich and we know is a thing that James Franklin tracks. So if we come out of this game and Penn State's tight ends have a combined 10 catches for 75 yards and two touchdowns, I'm going to be really happy. Uh, but we'll see what ends up happening there. Nick, who would you pick on that side of the football? I, honestly, for me, it's hard to it's hard to identify anybody specifically. So I'm going to turn this question around a little bit, okay. um, and repurpose it for my for my point here. Okay, I think that this week represents the last week, the last chance for James Franklin to make a bold statement with his quarterback room. I'm going real Matt flip here right now. I think that if James Franklin wants to make the move to drew Aller during this season in a notable and impactful way, that this is the week it has to happen because you can't do it. I, it would be, I mean, you can, it would be unbelievably unfair to do it against Ohio state. Like that's not doing yeah. right by a kid. And if you do it after Ohio state at that point, you're assuming, you know, maybe Penn state loses to Minnesota. They almost certainly lose to Ohio state. Like they're not changing quarterbacks. They beat Ohio state. So at no. that point, if you do it after Ohio state, it's not really a statement of saying, we think that drew Aller is the guy. It's more just waving the white flag. I think this game is the last opportunity that if he really wants to come out and say, we think that Drew Aller is the better quarterback and we think that it's time to make this change. I think this week is the last chance to do that. So I am curious to see if, if it happens. I, you know, I mentioned on the pod earlier this week that I'd be fine with switching to Aller just to figure out like whether or not Mike Yurcich is calling his offense, mm -hmm. um, calling his offense in such a way that it's trying to protect Sean Clifford. Or do, do you feel like you'd be able to make a definitive like judgment on your though, even if they did like knowing that he's still a true freshman who has only been on campus X number of months. So what I would basically say is that the thing that made Oklahoma state's offense so lethal was how they attack teams down the field. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I like, one thing that I think this offense is missing altogether, and it might be because of Clifford, it might be because the pass catchers it might be because of any number of things is a collection of guys who can't attack down the field or an mm -hmm. offense that does not attack down in the field. And that is such a cornerstone for Penn state's offense that I need to know if it is Sean Clifford's fault that that's not happening or if it's indicative of any other thing. So that's basically where sure. I am with this. Like ultimately, you know, they stick with Sean Clifford, they stick with Sean Clifford, like um, whatever. There was a, there was a really interesting piece that uh, I read today on uh, Fox Sports by Michael Cohen that compared it to uh, what happened with uh, Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy. And it got into some of the reasons why um, why Clifford is still the guy. But mm -hmm. neither here nor there. That's that's just a general thought I have. Like, I, I think making the change as a way to, like, make a statement is a bit silly. Like, just conceptually. Yeah. I think if they're making the... I think if they're making the change, it's because they think it's, you know, this is... Well, 
no duh, Bill. It's because yeah, of the and, and, and maybe saying maybe saying you know to do it to make a statement was the wrong phrasing. I, I sure. th- for me it was more of like if if you think that if you're making the change because you think he's the guy, like I think this is the last. Because if you do it at any point after this, now I don't think that's the reason. It's just that you're giving up on Clifford, not that okay. you think okay. Aller is better. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's it, it's interesting, and I don't like. Just candidly, I expect Sean Clifford's going to be Penn State's quarterback for the rest of the season. I agree. Um, there, there's been a bit of a fun, uh, fun thing going around with how Clifford uh, was part of handoff drills during the open media session, but wasn't there for the throwing session. It's like, oh, they're keeping minutes. Left. No, it's like we, we 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 have evidence that when Sean Clifford has to go to the bathroom, he goes to the bathroom. So <laughs> neither here nor there. Uh, what's the other prediction? He, Predictions in this. In game? retrospect, oh, he should have gotten carted off the way DK Metcalf did. He should have been. Let's get into predictions, Nick. Penn State, uh, four-point favorite. Total is 44 and a half. Uh, SP Plus actually has Minnesota winning this game 24 to 23. Basically has it as a coin flip. You hear all this stuff. Seems like it's going to be a lovely, clear night in Happy Valley. What do you think? I think this, to me, screams of a classic Penn State gets outgained, but still finds a way to win type game. Mm. Um, like I, th- I think they will find a way to just. I, th- I think I can see like two really big, explosive, impactful plays, whether both offensively or you know one defensively, one offensively, or both defensively. Like I could see two big plays being the kind of the turning points for this game in Penn State's favor. I think like twenty eight twenty four sounds pretty dead on in my opinion um i i do think penn state will win i like i said i just don't i think that minnesota is going to try to do exactly what michigan did and for all the reasons i've already stated i don't think it's going to work i don't think they'll be you know unsuccessful totally or anything like i think they'll put up points and i think they'll put up plenty of yards but um you know the the fact that tanner morgan's probably not playing it just doesn't bode well for them, but I don't think that Penn State. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they're going to do what we said. Like I don't think they're going to devote as many resources to stopping the run as we would like to see. So I would be surprised if Ibrahim didn't get his. I think he's what on fourteen straight games going over a hundred yards. So I don't think that streak's going to end. Um, so I, I I think that Penn State will win. I think that it will be a game where it's you know statistically it's going to feel like it was closer than it was um so ultimately like i think it won't be like a nerve-wracking situation but you know in the aftermath it'll look like it was a pretty even game yeah uh interesting thing i just noticed is that uh spread is four points and 75 percent of the consensus is on penn state to cover that spread so hmm I oh, well, I mean, I guess it makes it like wide out backup quarterback. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. I think I'm going to pick Penn State something gross, something like 20 to 14. I think, like you mentioned, Ibrahim is going to get his, but I don't think that with a backup quarterback, Minnesota is going to be able to keep them honest enough. And then the other side of the football, you know, I don't know, like. I'll be candid. I'm not 100% sure how Penn State gets to that point, how they get to that 20-point mark. Uh, But 
I think that that means two touchdowns and a lot of Jake Pinniger, and that sounds about right for me. I think Penn State needs, needs, needs Sean Clifford to have one of those games where, you know, it's like Auburn, where he's completing a high percentage of his passes for not a ton of yards or yards per attempt and maybe one or two touchdowns with no turnovers. Mm-hmm. That's their path to salvation. I can I can easily nick see a scenario where Penn State loses this game, in part because we just saw it. Like I can very easily see that happening. Yeah. But, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I uh, just back a quarterback whiteout. Yeah, makes me but struggle ulti- to see it. Um, I was going to say, but ultimately, the fact that Minnesota is not going to be running in there with a guy who, you know, for for all the talk about uh, why not just you know have Drew Hour be the guy from game one against Purdue, I think this is going to be. Well, Drew Hour is more talented. This is going to be a pretty good example. Of, I think it'll be a pretty good example of why you don't do that sort of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, should be uh should be a fun one. Nick, do you have any final thoughts before I wrap it up here? Uh no, just you know, thank sorry we went a little long today, folks. Thanks for hanging in there. Yeah, thank you very much to everyone for listening to this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go and get your podcast. You can find the link tree link in our Twitter bio. If you're on YouTube, please uh like and and subscribe or follow whatever it is over there. Make sure you're hopping into that comment section and drowning out the Michigan men who oh, found so our episodes from last week because Michigan fans are really, uh, really going off in our comment section. Uh, and then if you're so, using somebody Spotify, commented on Tuesday on the Michigan recap video saying, I think Michigan's going to win this game. So, yeah. So, do that. Uh, subscribe on if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you're leaving us a rating and a review. Make sure you're following us on our Twitter account. And as always, make sure you are uh, use, taking advantage of the 15% off promo code for first-time purchases from Homefield Apparel with promo code ROARLINES, ROAR, one word, all uppercase. One last time, thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of the pod. For Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State.